Good evening and welcome to the Sherdog Radio preview for UFC London. No, wait a minute. It is UFC Fight Night 191, also known as UFC Vegas 36, a 10-fight card that was, up until mid-July, still planned for somewhere in London. That obviously didn't pan out, but we have the card. It's taking place at the Apex, and uh, true to its original design, it is packed with British fighters, has a number of uh, fighters from continental Europe to boot, and then for whatever reason, two French Canadians. Who knows? Uh, with me... Uh, I'm Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. Uh, with me, as always, is Keith Schillen, executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network and host of the Schillen and Duffy Show. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm I'm looking forward to this card. I think anytime we have an afternoon card, it it, it just makes me feel much better. I know I'm going to sleep. I love that they realize that this is such a heavy European card that they kept you know kept it on the good time for the Europeans. You know, so Darren Till's real popular. Uh, just made it made a lot of sense and and overall there's some there's some pretty good prospects and i'm looking forward to on this card so and the main event's good yeah same here i i'm i'm down with the early card and i mean you and i have both been fans of this sport long enough that i i can't believe i'm saying this but i'm happy that there's only 10 fights like that's good that's like that's a, like a nice digestible like chunk of of mma like i never thought yeah. i'd be not wishing for more fights back in say like 2003 <laughs> when there was a one eight fight card every four months but yeah, yeah. Uh, seven <clears throat> fights there was, there was one prelim fight yeah <laughs> but i mean the the kind of 12 13 fight card we get every single weekend I, I'm, I'm okay with just 10 you know like to say nothing of like the 19 fight bellator cards that, that you know we'll get from time to time you know where the whole prelims is oh but remember, anyway. remember, the, remember the post limbs for Bellator? The po old man, they love the post limbs. That was something Scott Coker brought over from Strike Force, uh, where he's like, you know, we got to have Kimbo go on it right at 10 o'clock. So if there's still three fights to go, you're going on after the main event. Yep. In fairness, though, that actually is the right thing to do. Oh, it's, like having, it's fine. Having the main event at a normal hour is like, I actually would like if the UFC would break it up. Like if you if you want to say we have to okay for some reason some logistical reason you have to start at seven o'clock, then have like a early prelims, or, or prelims and then make the hardcores happy by having them watch at one o'clock watching. You know, insert two prelim fighters. Insert, you know, Courtney Casey versus JJ Aldridge. <laughs> I, I never I never, that's I the never thought of that. I never thought that. <laughs> <laughs> that it would make sense to like okay put the like i've been final this sport for i don't know how many years almost 30 years now it you know it makes sense to to put it at the end then it does i mean it, it's rough on those fighters that are in a swing fight they're like all of a sudden oh i'm fighting like three hours later than i thought i was going to but you know other than that yeah well then don't be a prelim fighter hey it, it's a cruel <laughs> world out there it's like uh <laughs> Well, speaking of prelims, uh, unless you got anything else, we'll just dive right into uh, these bantamweights. Uh, first one out of the gate at UFC Vegas 36 is a bantamweight matchup between Jonathan Martinez and Marcelo Rojo. Martinez, the uh, 27-year-old from the Texas Panhandle fighting out of Denver, Colorado, is 13-4 overall. He is 4-3 since joining the UFC back in late 2018. 
fought most recently back in March, where he got knocked out in the second round by Davy Grant. That snapped a modest two-fight winning streak for him over Thomas Almeida and Frankie Science. He will be taking on Rojo, the 33-year-old Argentinian training out of Tijuana, Mexico, is 16-7 and overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC, uh, had his debut uh, back in March as well, where he got knocked out in the third round by Charles Jordan, who fights a little bit later on this card. Uh, he actually appeared on the third season of Tough Latin America, didn't join uh, the UFC right away out of it. Uh, but is a veteran of Combate America's now Combate Global. Odds on this one do slightly favor Martinez. He's out there minus 165. You can get Rojo at plus 140, plus 145 or so. Uh, Keith, how do you like this Bantamweight matchup? Uh, who do you think wins and how? Yeah, this is a good fight to kick off the card. I think both guys are are entertaining fighters. Like I don't think either guy is going to ever challenge for a title or anything like that, but they, they, they're they definitely entertaining. We'll start with uh, the bigger name, Martinez. Southpaw, he has a really Muay Thai style to his game, uh, sharp striking. Uh, he does lack power, but as I said in the last time his fight, to his credit, he did briefly hurt Thomas Almeida, who's known for his striking. Uh, works behind a jab. Side, side note, I seem like I say that for almost every fighter. It, the the jab went from the no one throws a jab in MMA to pretty much everyone does. and then we, Now we have to actually have to establish who has good jabs compared to <laughs> throws a jab. But uh, back back to Jonathan Martinez. I like that he targets the body. That's something he he, he likes to do. Uh, a lot of kicks up the middle, teep kicks. He, he mixes in his combinations, punches, kicks well. Uh, occasionally, it's so different. He fights much different than his personality. He doesn't have much personality, but he fights in the exciting. Like, he'll throw in a flying knee to close the distance. Uh, not the best wrestler. We've seen him take him down. Almost no offensive wrestling. He doesn't really look to wrestle. Uh, and, and as I say this, every time someone gets knocked out in their last fight, I am a little worried about his about his chin, as, as Davy Grant did knock him out in his last fight. Now move over to Rojo. Uh, did I say right? Rojo? Perfect. Um, I, I like that he has a lot of experience. I mean, this guy, I think he's like 30, you said 33 years old? Yep. Yeah, he's 33 years old. He has like 25 or so professional fights, even though he just made his UFC debut. Uh, so you like that. He's been in a lot of different scenarios because of that. On the feet, very aggressive striker. A busy jab. Uh, right hand is his, is his best strike. He's, uh, one thing I like about him is that he switches stances in mid-attack, uh, something that the very best strikers do, kind of like cutting different angles when he's coming in. Uh, good power. Uh, I, I wouldn't say he's a knockout artist, but I'd say he's like plus power guy. Like he, He's got stinging power. Uh, throws a lot of knees up the middle. Uh, adds a lot of calf kicks. He was hurt to the body, though, in the past. I've seen some some regional fights. That's kind of like a weakness. Um, was also hurt and knocked out in his last fight. Uh, but the difference in him and Martinez are very similar. But the one difference on Rojo, I think he's actually more well-rounded. Uh, he will sneak in some takedowns. And he's got six submission wins on his record. So he is a threat if hits the ground. As far as prediction go, this is a good fight right out the gate. I'm going to go with Batista. He's younger, and I think he's looked better in the UFC, and he's still at that age where I expect him to make some improvement while Rojo's probably at the age where you start seeing decline. Uh, so just being younger, fighting a little bit better competition, uh, and just having that overall better pedigree. But if Rojo can turn this into a grappling matchup or or just more of a, a you know, usual mixed martial arts fight of where we see some grappling, we see some clinch fighting, a little bit of everything, uh, 
that's his best avenue of victory. But if it's strictly a stand-up battle, I'm going to give Batista a slight edge. Not, But it was one of those ones where I was leaning way more on Batista's side before his film study. Now, Martin, I'm not a, Martinez. Right. right but, yeah. Martinez. Oh, who am, I, who am I calling Batista? Who the hell is Batista? <laughs> that big wrestler guy that like. Yeah. Uh, when did I get Batista? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, we Martinez. knew who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I apologize. Uh, yeah, you know what it is? Um, who's that? Who's Mario it? Batista? Yeah, who's that? He's a UFC flyweight fan. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they look alike. I don't know. Do they look alike? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, all right. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Martinez. I apologize there. <laughs> but we're taping uh, at an unusual hour for us, so that's why yes. everything's all messed up. Yep. yep. Uh, I, I'm with you here. I am uh, leading Martinez. I... I can't believe he has seven fights in the UFC already because uh, his UFC debut where he fought Andre Sukumtat on like really short notice, it was a little after I started working uh, at Sherdog. And I just remember thinking, this guy doesn't have a whole lot of upside. Uh, came in, you know, he, he you kind of pointed out, or I think you did, he doesn't really present, present as much of a, a plus athlete, you know, uh, and that's. That's a rough look at Bantamweight because the top Bantamweights are, for the most part, are outstanding athletes. They're just really physically strong, fast guys. Uh, but he's turned into a good fighter. You know, he's four and three in the UFC. Aside from the that short notice debut, he's only lost to good people and he's beaten some pretty good people. Uh, like he's been a pleasant surprise. And despite all this, still just 27 years old now you know, training out of Factory X. That's a really good team uh, for developing his kind of skill set. There's one thing about th this fight, and there's another fight on this card that's like that's like this that I'll mention when we get to it. But the Sherdog fight finder has Martinez listed at five seven and Rojo listed at five eight. I'm gonna be surprised if Martinez isn't actually taller than Rojo. And I've never seen them in the same room together, but it's just that Martinez fights like a tall, rangy bantamweight where Rojo just comes across fighting like a more compact guy. Uh, but I do think this is going to be a, a bit of Rojo, you know, coming forward. Martinez is a pretty patient uh, fighter, Mar but it'll be Rojo coming forward. Uh, if he does turn to wrestling and trying to grapple, I agree with you. It's a whole different fight, but I expect this will probably take place mostly on the feet. Uh, and it should be a banger, mostly because Rojo is going to force the issue. You know, Martinez is willing to sit and wait uh, if his opponent isn't coming at him. That's not going to be a problem here. And I do think he's going to have enough on the feet to frustrate Rojo, win at least two out of three rounds, and walk away with the decision. But uh, again, big caveat there, as you pointed out, if Rojo decides he wants to try to take Martinez down and he's able to do so, all bets are off. You know, it's a, it's a whole different fight. I just I don't see that actually playing out that way. So give me uh, Martinez by decision as well. Next up, it is a middleweight contest between Dolce Lungiambola and Marc-Andre Berrio. Lungiambola, the 36-year-old from South Africa, is 11-2 overall. He's 2-1 since joining uh, the UFC uh, as a multi-division EFC champion from South Africa. Uh, he beat Daquan Townsend in his UFC debut. Uh, lost to Magomed Ankalaev, uh via one of the top knockouts of 2019, that front kick to the jaw, and uh, came back in January of this year and took a unanimous decision over Marcus Perez. 
Uh, he'll be taking on Barrio. The 31-year-old uh, from Quebec is 12 and four with one no contest overall. He is one and three with one no contest in the UFC. Uh, came into the UFC and lost his first three fights in a row to Andrew Sanchez, Christoph Yatko, and Jin Young Park. Uh, beat Oscar Biahoda. That fight later uh, overturned to a no contest, but won again back in March, uh, knocking out Abu Azatar in the third round at UFC 260. Uh, odds on this one slightly favor Barrio. He is minus 155. You can get Lungiambula around plus 130, uh, plus 135 or so. Uh, I guess the biggest surprise to me about Dolce Lungiambula is that that guy can make middleweight at all. Uh, I mean, he is... He looks like a heavyweight. He, well, he looks like a heavyweight, and he literally was a heavyweight. He was EFC uh, heavyweight and light heavyweight champion, I believe. Now, the trick about Lungiambula, kind of like, uh, well, kind of like William Knight, is he's not a super tall guy. It's just... If you don't have someone standing next to him to put him in perspective, again, like Knight, he looks like a stack of bowling balls. Uh, at, regardless, regardless of the win, shouldn't that be the next fight? Oh my goodness! Like, like, <laughs> like I just as you said that, I never thought of that too. But like, how fantastic would that be? And they're kind of at the same place in the division, honestly. Yeah. Like, especially oh if, my... especially if Lomu wins. Yes. Sorry to interrupt you. I'm. I we we should have a like, drinking game for. You have to hit a shot for every single time I interrupt you, and and then every time you interrupt me, like you gotta drink like a whole keg because you never interrupt me. And I'm <laughs> terrible. I'm terrible. I do it all the time. I apologize. Carry on. Hey, <laughs> I, I I I prefer the back and forth than just like wait wait wait. It, it's good, but I mean if Lungiambula and Knight ever fight, one they're gonna have to reinforce that octagon, like just like build a titanium octagon or something, but. <clears throat> It, a little surprising yeah. that he can make middleweight. Obviously, at middleweight, he is just an absolute tank of a human being. Uh, he's taken on, on Barrio. I'm a little, I mean, I was a little surprised that Barrio was the, uh, you know, was the slight favorite here. But the thing is, aside from the fact that I was surprised he didn't get cut after losing his first three UFC fights, he beat Piahota, uh, you know, beat Azatar. He seems to have turned a, a corner. He's not a he's not a, a super plus athlete, but he is a physically very strong guy. Uh, you know, he, he's uh, he's he seemed to have the advantage in just straight horsepower over most of his, his opponents. I imagine this uh, fight is going to first round. It's going to be uh, Lungiambula like taking the round. Probably landing some haymakers, maybe scoring a takedown. He he will like to get in on his opponent's hips and just like hurl him and fling him to the canvas and and jump on and start pounding on him. The question will be whether Barrio can uh, weather that, and if like Lungiambo is going to get tired fast from from exertion. You know he comes out like a house on fire. Uh, I am picking that not to happen. Like, I know Lungiambula is a, a, the slight underdog here, but I think he's just going to uh, have enough to come out and uh, finish Barrio early. Uh, give me Dolce Lungiambula by uh, first round TKO, probably just, you know, ground and pound. But if it goes past the first round, it turns into Barrio's fight pretty quickly. Yeah, I think your assessment was it was really good. The breakdown, I, I that's exactly how I kind of see this fight. <laughs> Even though I was a little distracted because I kept thinking about him versus William Knight, Dalton versus <laughs> William Knight. I, you said that like re, 
you know, rebuild the ring and 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 have like titanium. I actually think it would be even better to have like the first, like do it WWE style, like do like the first like backstage fight where they have to they have to fight each other, um, you know, in, in in that walkout area, make it like a street fight because. Um, I don't know if you it'd be possible to make a cage strong enough for those two dudes. Seriously. Like, like anytime with the William Knight. Now, I don't know how we got William Knight really into this one, but William Knight when he wrestles, like I've seen him on the on the, on the regional scene, and I just am assuming the cages in the regional scene aren't as strong. And you see him when he just bull rushes the guy, and they slap in that cage, and everyone in the you know how the regional scene at the front row was like basically right there, and like yeah. a whole section of people dive back because they they expected it to go right through the cage. <laughs> Um, anyways, I just assume like when you look at Dolce, you just assume he has the same power. You mentioned it; he's humongous for the weight class. On the feet, he's not a very technical striker. Um, kind of throws from his hips, different things, but he's effective nonetheless because he's so explosive and he's got huge power. I mean, if he touches you, you can put you to sleep. But he loads up on everything and he kind of waits. He doesn't have the highest output. He kind of waits for the big blow. Like he's trying to land the perfect punch to to end the fight. Defensively, he does a lot of pairing with punches, which you know I like. I like that was when I did a lot of boxing. That's my style of defense too. Uh, but he backs straight up, so if you pressure him, you can get him to the to the fancy clinch on him. Uh, but you get to the clinch, and that's not that's not a strong uh, area for most of his opponents because he one he's so physically strong, two he's a judo black belt that was on the national you know national team member, um, which we don't see as judo enough. He's not um, Hector Lombard. <laughs> You know, as as we say with you know high level judo, doesn't you? He will use it. Um, he obviously has trips and throws, but not as much as we 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 think he should hey, if he wants to win. Hey man, we, we saw Abdul Razak Al Hassan break out that judo just last week. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the yeah the, the infamous like kick the man's head off like judo yeah, throw. It was it was actually he was trying to trip him. That was he was trying to trip him. <laughs> he just tripped him a little too high. A little too high, the inside <laughs> trip. Uh, uh, but uh, solid takedown defense. If he gets taken down, he's so big, it's hard. He has that, like, Derek Lewis, like, I'm just going to stand up. Uh, the, or also that, like, remember when Chuck Liddell used to say, like, I don't care if you punch me, I'm just going to stand up. Kind of the same thing. Um, but he he he, um, he struggled. Well, if you can hold him down, he like, he doesn't have the best technique. Because you remember, like I said this last time, in judo, in judo, they have quick stand-ups. It's like 15 seconds, you're back on the feet. So that's probably why. He just kind of explodes up. But he slows down, as you mentioned, to go back against, like, Ankalaya if he really slowed up in that fight. And then the the, the last fight against Marcus Perez, he was way ahead and then kind of had to hold on to to a victory over Marcus Perez, was beaten up in the third round. And move over to Barrio, um, very aggressive on the feet. He, he's he's. <laughs> I just talked about William Knight being a bull. Like, Barrio's the same way. He just bulls forward. He just walks through punches. Um, the way to beat him is actually kind of force him back, force him. Uh, that's actually where Jung you know, Park had best success with kind of pressuring him. Uh, his best strike is his right hand, though he can be a little right hand happy looking for it over and over and over again. Uh, he's also headhunter, just always looking for the knockout. Uh, he has good power, though. Uh, defensively, he has a very high guard defense, very boxing style to it. Uh, strong calf kicks, though he he kind of um, back to his defense. He pillars a little bit, um, trying to hide behind his punches. I don't know if Dolce is the guy you want to hide behind your punches and trust your forearms because like a punch from him, he could break it. Um, I wrote down legs calf kicks. I wrote down twice. I don't know, maybe that means something. Uh, but can uh, he's been improving his wrestling? He can sneak in a takedown. And I actually thought he showed some really good takedown defense against Yako. 
Um, and his biggest attribute in this fight will be his cardio. So you're going with an early stoppage for Dolce. I'm not going with an early stoppage. I think it's a really intriguing matchup. I can see Barrio simply outlasting Langumbula and taking over in the later rounds, kind of like withstanding the flurry that you think is going to happen and then winning. However, uh, I'm not going to go with that. I hate Barrio's defense. So I expect him to eat a lot of big shots from Langbula. I don't think Langbula is going to put him out. I expect this fight to look a lot like the last fight for Langbula, the, the Marcus Perez one, where I think Langbula is going to win the first two rounds and then really be gassed out and Barrio is going to put on uh, a, a hell of a third round. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we actually get a draw in this fight. Uh, we've, we've never picked a draw. Don't worry, Devin. I'm not picking a draw. Uh, <laughs> I will go. Uh, I think Barrio is going to have a lot of volume. I don't know why I'm stalling this answer so much, but I'll go with Longbola uh, hanging on to a very close decision in a slight upset. Next up on the UFC Fight Night 191 prelims is a 150-pound catchweight fight between uh, featherweights in Julian Arosa and Charles Jordan. Arosa, the 32-year-old uh, from Washington State, is 25-9 and nine overall. Uh, he is 3-5 and five across three different stints in the UFC. Uh, I don't know this for sure, but he feels to me like the first fighter to enter the UFC through the Ultimate Fighter, through Dana White's Contender Series, and then once again as a late notice uh, COVID replacement. That's kind of the trifecta of backdoors into the UFC. He's tried them all uh, with mixed results, again, three and five. But on this most recent uh, this most recent run in the UFC, he is two and one, and he has uh, wins over solid fighters in Sean Woodson and Nate Land, where uh, that little winning streak came to an end at the hands of Sung Woo Choi, who knocked, uh, uh, knocked Arosa out just back in June at a UFC on ESPN, uh, Korean Zombie versus Ige. Uh, he'll be taking on Jordan. The French-Canadian is 25 years old. He's 11-3-1 overall. Uh, he's 2-2-1 two, two since joining the UFC back in 2019. Uh, he did knock out Rojo, as uh, mentioned before, uh, back in March. Uh, Jordan is the favorite here. He's minus 175. Uh, Arosa plus 155 on the comeback. Uh, <clears throat> I like the story of Julian Arosa. I was really glad when he came back to the UFC for his third try. Uh, and his first two runs in the UFC were miserable. And actually beat two good fighters right out of the gate. Again, in uh, Sean Woodson and Nate Landwehr. They're both guys that I can't speak for you. But I think we both think of them as guys that, at the very least, they're UFC material. They're they're real UFC featherweights or should be a lightweight in the case of, uh, uh, of Woodson. But the problem for me with Arosa is... He is really susceptible to his opponent's offense. I, I can't think of any other way to put it than he gets highlight reeled by his opponents a lot. He has a ton of fights. I mean, it's pretty interesting that a, a 32-year-old that's, you know, he's kind of bounced into the UFC a few times, has almost 40 fights. But five, like five knockout losses for a, a featherweight is a lot. You know, I just remember him getting erased by a head kick by Julio Arce. Um for a six foot one featherweight, he does not use his reach well to keep opponents off. Well, all I need to say about that is he got knocked out by Artem Lobov. If you're six one with as long arms as Julian Arosa has and you got knocked out by Artem Lobov, you don't fight long. That's, I mean, you know, we're talking about the guy with probably the shortest reach of any man in UFC history. Uh, the problem for him is 
that's a really bad matchup for Charles Jordan because Charles Jordan's whole story is he is an explosive finisher on the feet and on the ground, super aggressive, super dynamic, but it hasn't always worked at a UFC level. You know, like the guys he was knocking out in TKO in, in Montreal, just they're not the, the kind of guys he's been facing in the UFC. But with the exception of Verosa, I think this is just going to be a vintage performance for Charles Jordan. Uh, he's shorter. And he fights shorter, you know, he's, uh, but this is just perfectly uh, tailored for him. I, I think he's going to get inside on a Rosa, land some stuff on the feet, hurt him, and probably knock him out in the first round. Give me Charles Jordan uh, in a likely performance of the night winning uh, performance. Yeah. Jordan is, is he's so athletic. He's he's very fast. He's his nickname Air, and he lives up to it because he's extremely exciting. Let I me mean, look at his last fight against uh, Rojo, who's also on this fight. That fight was before it ended. It was really fun and entertaining. Uh, like it, I don't I don't know if we it's on our nomination list for fight of the year, but it's it, it probably should be. It was I think it was that good. Um, he'll he'll try like a flying knee, and I could see that. Like you talk about Rosa being a highlight reel for some guys. Like, if if Jordan's going to get one, like he wants to get a flying knee knockout, like Julia Rosa might be the guy for it. Um, he he'll be I, I said this last time. He'll be wild to a fault. Like he puts himself in bad positions, uh, but then he'll like he'll he'll throw a punch, be so off balance, and then like spinning back fist his way out of it as he's tripping. Uh, he'll kind of overthrow his punches in time. And he's got to face a really good striker with power. He's got to put him out. When he stays within himself, though, he's really good. He's accurate. Straight left hand is is really well, really well punched. Uh, loves his uh, he loves his right hand uppercut, like lead uppercut that kind of sneaks in. Uh, actually, something that Darren Till does from the southpaw stance. Hard kicks to the body. Um, hard hard kicks in general, especially to the body. Uh, he doesn't like being pressured. He's a guy who wants to work from distance. Uh, but there's moments where he'll just fight and throw down in a brawl. Uh, he has been hurt in the past. I mean, you go back to the Josh Kulabal fight. He was That was a guy that he was much more athletic than, much better fighter than, uh, and still was hurt on the feet. Uh, he, We don't see him on the ground much, but he is a submission threat. He has three career submissions. Against Kulabal, he kept looking for his guillotine. He was defending uh, stuff with his guillotines. Uh, and, and if you put him on your back, he's good to get back up. Now, Julian Rosa, he seems like he has a special place in your heart. He kind of has a special place in my heart, too. Like, I love that. I think we both kind of have a, a, a soft spot for these these underdog guys. These these he, he, yeah. he's, he's, he's getting in the Darren Elkins club, you know, where they're, <laughs> they're not that athletic, but they've it's just a nice story. Uh, he's big for the weight class. He's a big dude. He's long and lengthy. He's got a 76-inch reach. A uh, guy that constantly switches stances. Fights at a, like, blistering pace. He's a pressure striker that just breaks people with volume. I mean, the perfect example of that is the Sean Woodson fight. You don't talk about a guy. You're talking about a difference in skill set between Julian Rosa and Sean Woodson. It's, it's like, you know, striking-wise, not, not overall I'm making much. In boxing, it's, like, humongous. And Julian Russell, just with his mindset and his pressure, just mentally broke Sean Woodson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he 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 he's not a big puncher. Like he 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 lacks punching power. Like he he didn't he didn't break Sean Woodson with his power. You know he, he just kept. He's like he's he's not your chainsaw. He's your axe. He's an axe. He just keep chopping. 
you know um he he's a guy that he probably shouldn't be dragged into fights where he's because he's got so many flaws defensively but he loves it uh he loves his teep kick he throws hard kicks to the body uh will sneak a kick up to the head he but defensively he lacks head movement keeps his chin high in the air back straight up uh, a big, huge target. He can sneak in a takedown. Uh, go back to like his Patty Pimlet fight, uh, who's also on this on this card. A weak takedown defense. Um, uh, will jump on a guillotine instead of instead of sprawling it, which is something I I don't like. Uh, will look like for subs off his back uh, instead of scrambling to his feet. But his chin has been an issue. He's been knocked out many times. So I'm with you. It, it, Jordan can play around sometimes, and he can have big moments of inactivity. But when he's on his game, uh, he he really can crack. And I just think this is the perfect stylistic matchup. So give me uh, give me Julian Arosa. Wait, so you have? I'm, Arosa? Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm I know. I'm sorry. Give me Jordan to knock out Julian Arosa. Okay, sorry. first fantastic. Round. Next up at UFC Vegas 36, it is the bantamweights and. As we mentioned off the top, this was a fight card originally intended for London. You can tell that because this is the first of four fights in a row featuring a former Cage Warriors champion. Uh, undefeated former uh, Bantamweight champ from Cage Warriors, Shore is 3-1 and one since joining uh, the UFC. He also won 10 straight in Cage Warriors. He is a legend of that organization. But since joining the UFC back in late 2019, he's beat Nolene Hernandez and Aaron Phillips both by uh, submission and Hunter Azure back in April of this year by split decision. Uh, he takes on Ludwig Shalinian, a veteran of the Ultimate Fighter season 29. Several of his castmates fought last week. Uh, the 31-year-old out of the Ukraine is 9-1-1 and overall, and this is, of course, his UFC debut, but he's fought in many major organizations, uh, Bellator, LFA, uh, M1. Nonetheless, sure, a whopping favorite here. One of the biggest favorites on the card. He is minus 470. You can get Shalinian at plus 370 or plus 380 uh, as, as the substantial underdog. Uh, <clears throat> I'll go ahead and toss this one to you first, if that's all right. I mean, this one obviously kind of set up as a showcase for sure, but do you see it playing out that way? Um. Well, you know, Jack Shaw's my boyfriend. Like, I love this guy. This is the guy that I've been talking about for a long time. It, it is not so he's he's 26 years old, so he's in that like golden age. I said last time he's not a great athlete, but he's so intelligent. Like I I watched his his fight against Hunter Asher, where he just kept putting himself in position to to win a fight. Um he just he knows what he's good at and he just goes to it. He's not worried about exciting anybody. Uh but he's he's really he's really good everywhere. On the feet, he mar just marches down his opponent, works behind a jab. A lot of variety in his attacks. Um, goes to the body, goes to the head, leg kick, hooks. Um, balance between, you know, attacking all the areas of the body. Good wrestler, good entries. He's relentless to get the takedown. If he doesn't get you down on the hips, he can get in the body lock, take you down that way. Just willing to inch around, slide by as he gets the cage. He's strong. He gets on your hips. We've seen a lot of him just picking up opponents, slamming them. Really good at just getting on your hips and causing a scramble and winning him, um, chain wrestling together. He ha If he's on top, he has like a little Habib in him where he'll just control a single limb and, and just stay 
pinned on you kind of slowly where you're at like i'm gonna hold on to your knee in this position uh, or i'm gonna hold on to this navy ride and not let go of it until i can cover up the hips and slowly inch my way into a better position um once he's in a better position hard ground and bound uh very opportunistic where you give him an inch and he's going to take you back He's got eight submission wins, and what I really just like, he has a killer instinct. Like you make a mistake against him, he's gonna he's gonna end the fight right then. Uh, move over to Ludwig. I I like that he got a contract off the show. I mean, you go back to his fight against Ricky Turcos, that was a fantastic. I mean, both of his fights on the show, his fight with Mitch Raposa was actually really entertaining too. Uh, Ludwig, he's really big for the weight class. On the feet, he's a press strike who just marches forward. I didn't look at his reach. He just seems like a guy that looks like a guy that has a long reach. And he knows how to use it. Like he closes distance with his punch. Like he kind of throws in that dead space and just follows his punches into finally where he's backing you up with his with strikes that aren't landing. And then eventually you have nowhere to go. Um, and, and he was landing. He was doing that against, even though he lost the fight, he was doing it against uh, Ricky Turcos. He does lack punching power because he, he, he th- kind of just throws to be busy, not necessarily to hurt. He had a lot of arm punches. Uh, but he's got a little bit of holes defensively. One. He avoids strikes by backing straight up if you if you pressure back on him, uh, and he didn't not against Turcos because Turcos is is not a great athlete. He's he's got a little Julian Arosa in him where he's just going to beat you with insane volume and toughness. But he really struggled with like a guy like Mitch Raposa who is all of an athlete. He's a good athlete. He really struggled with the speed and the movement of Rich Raposa. Kind of um, really struggled to pick up his timing early. Uh, that's something that could be a big issue against Jack Shore. But he's a good wrestler. I mean, this is a Ukrainian national team member. Good entries. He'll he'll sometimes shoot without a setup. We saw that um, in the the Turcos fight. But if he gets in, he's got solid top control to the point where he actually will stall out on top and kind of um, um, just try to like he did against Mitropozo a lot, just kind of not doing much. So as far as prediction goes, Styles make fights. And would you would you, like it's insane how big of a favorite minus 475 like minus 475 Jack Shaw. I'm the biggest Jack Shaw. Well, I shouldn't say I'm the biggest Jack Shaw show because this, this he has like a cult following where guys actually they actually tattoo themselves. Jack Shaw is on fire. I don't have a I don't have a Jack Shaw tattoo, but like if this tears of like I'm the next tear down, like I'm all <laughs> in on this dude. Um, but this is a tough stylistic matchup for him. This is this is not a almost five to one favorite matchup for him. Uh, if I'm a betting man, I'd lay a slight bet on the Ukrainian to get an upset because I think the value is, well, what's, what's the, what's, would you say the payback was on, on, on Ludwig? You can get him around plus 380. 380. So a hundred bucks wins you $380. That's a good yeah. bet. Uh, especially like by decision. Like, I don't know what him by decision is, but I'm, you know, I'm sure it's probably plus four and change. Sure. Loves having the wrestling advantage and that's, and we've seen him take down good wrestlers. I mean, Hunter Asher has a wrestling background. Um, in his first three fights, three fights in the UFC, I counted 13 takedowns, which is extremely impressive in three fights. But I don't know if he has the wrestling advantage against Ludwig. Uh, that said, I'm still going to take Shaw. Like, I know everyone was waiting for me to take Ludwig as I'm setting it up. I'm not going to. I'm going to take Shaw because he's so intelligent, and I feel like he's going to find a way to win. Like, maybe he looks at the Turcos fight and realizes, like, I don't need to get takedowns against Ludwig. I just need to make him work. 
make him defend takedowns, make him, even if he takes me down, make me sure I scramble back up and just make him work and just beat him with volume because that's what Turcos did. And like, I see Jack Shore doing that. So give me Shore in a much closer fight than people expect. Yeah, I'm with you on all your points there. It is funny that his nickname is Tank. When you when you think of a guy whose nickname is Tank, you just expect him to like be built like, you know, Chad Mendez or something, just like this little just like burly, you know, rectangular wrestler. And he, he's really not, but uh, you know, he's relentless, opportunistic, and as you pointed out, very very intelligent. Uh <clears throat> and that's good because in Shalinian, he's taking on another guy kind of like Hunter Azure, who's going to probably be a physically stronger guy, at least in the early going, and probably a better wrestler just on kind of straight credentials, like, you know, on the mats is probably a better wrestler th- than him. But I I'm, I can't pick Selenian to be sure. I, I expect that uh, Shore will have a harder time in the earlier going than you would expect of a five-to-one favorite. But I... I Figure, I mean, there's every chance that he he just, you know, wins a striking match and this doesn't go to the ground much. But if it does, I think he's going to find a way to take Shalinians back and choke him out. Uh, as you pointed out, he has a killer instinct, lightning fast back takes. Um, he's one of those guys that he's not super fast and explosive on, on the feet, but just really fluid on the ground. You know, he has a ton of rear naked chokes and most of them at the UFC level as well as at uh, the Cage Warriors level. He just he was on his opponent's back and locking it up before the guy knew what was going on. He's, you know, uh, very, very dangerous grappler. Uh, give me Jack Shore by, I'm going to say, third round submission. Ben, let me ask you this question before we move on from this fight, because I, I think this is a fight that a lot of people are really intrigued by, just because a lot of people are intrigued by Jack Shore. Vegas is is making him such a big favorite that it's, it seems like it's a step down in competition for him. Do you agree that this is a step down in competition? Because I don't. I think uh, it should I, be a slight uptake in competition. Compared and I to like, like Hunter, and I like Hunter Asher. That was his last fight. Yeah. I, I would say that it's. Uh, I'd say it's pretty similar. You okay. know, uh, both of them good wrestlers. You know, Azure a little bit more of the tank type compact guy. Uh, both guys that I would expect sure to have the advantage in in cardio and pace in in later rounds you know but yeah i i certainly don't think shalini is a step down from from azure yeah and last thing i'll say about about jack shore is you know i said i i love this guy i, I really think he's special but this should only be one tank in mma and that's tank abbott <laughs> <laughs> everyone's every, everyone would say what they want but at one time tank abbott was like the fan favor in the ufc oh yeah he was he was this I mean, he was the scariest dude. Like, even at the time, like, nobody thought he was the best fighter in the world. They just wanted to see him fight. I remember when uh, he he was was at the Ultimate Ultimate 2 when he fought he fought Don Fry in the finals, even though, uh, was it Mark, Mark Hall uh, threw the semifinals match against Don Fry just to have him all fresh in the finals. But that was the same card. Was it Cal Warsham that he was trying to throw out of the cage? Yes. Yeah. I still remember me and a bunch of friends watching that one going crazy for Tank Abbott. Anyway, sorry. Side note, we, we, we talk about, we're bringing everyone on this. William Knight, Tank Abbott. Dude, imagine Tank Abbott versus William Knight. Tank, Tank Abbott is prime versus William. That would have been fun. Yeah. I mean, William Knight would have killed him, but. Yes. But, but I, I mean, mean William, no, William I, Knight I, trains. No, I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> Listen, guys, like you said, we're taping much earlier than we normal, so this is why we're off the rails. I apologize. Ben is a <laughs> Ben is a professional as always, and I'm trying any way possible to get this off the rails. Hey, I, you know, it makes for a nice dynamic. So you had Shore as well. Did you have him by decision or? Yeah, I got him in a close decision. There you go. Uh, two picks for sure to remain undefeated and uh, make nobody yet regret those tattoos. The top prelim of the five-fight prelim card at UFC Vegas 36 is a flyweight matchup between Molly McCann and Ji-Yeon Kim. The charmingly nicknamed Meatball Molly is 31 years old, fighting out of Liverpool. She is a former Cage Warriors uh, flyweight champ. She's 10-4 and four overall. She is 3-3. Uh, three and three. Since joining the UFC, she is currently on a two-fight skid, having dropped a unanimous decision to Laria, Laura Procopio back at UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Volkov in February, and a de- unanimous decision to Tyler Santos last July at UFC on ESPN Cater versus Ige. That snapped a three-fight winning streak for her over Priscilla Cachoeira, Ariane Lipsky, and Diana Belbitsa. She's taking on Kim, who returns uh, to action for the first time in just over a year. The 31-year-old South Korean is 9-3-2 overall. Like McCann, she's 3-3 three three in the UFC. Uh, she did lose her last outing, a unanimous decision to Alexa Grasso at UFC Fight Night 175 all the way back last August. Uh, this one is about as close to a pick'em as you'll find on this card, but uh, Kim is minus 115 where McCann is minus 105, so not quite even money on McCann, but she is the tiniest of underdogs. Uh, Keith, uh, who have you got in this one, and how? Yeah, this, so this is a really evenly matched up. I mean, you mentioned it. You talked about the betting lines. Uh, Molly McCann, uh, I I feel bad that it's not in in – the UK, you know, when a fighter is supposed to expect to get it, uh, homecoming, so I feel bad for McCann. Uh, as far as her style, she's a high output on the feet. She's, and that's just because she's just so stinking tough. Like she, she just walks forward, and eats punches. Uh, she's surprised. Like even though she, she's a, a pretty good athlete, though she doesn't look like she would be. Like she surprisingly has fast hands. Um, she, she constantly switches stances. Uh, she uses good movement on the feet. Uh, she likes to stay all the way out and then suddenly just dart in into range with like a big, big combo of like eight punches. Uh, she, if she gets in the pocket, she, she's willing just to throw down in the pocket. Uh, but she does make the mistake of loading up on everything. Uh, she is also very heavy on her lead leg, just, which obviously gives her more power. But it leaves her open to uh, get destroyed by kicks. I mean, that's Tilia Santos destroyed over the kicks. Uh kicks the legs, the team kicks up the middle. Uh, she closes the distance. When she closes the distance, she just grinds the clinch, just stays dirty. She's She has that that classic like UK grinder. Like, like, like Molly McCann, if she wasn't a, a, a fighter, like she could like beat you up in like a, a, a brothel. I shouldn't say brothel, but like, <laughs> a, like a pub or something. Like, yeah. She just she'd get out there like <laughs> fighting like beating up a girl uh, uh she she she's a good wrestler but i'd say she, she's a bit overrated offensively like she's not she's she, she'll just grind you and get you down but if, if you're if you have any good t- 
takedown defense, she's going to struggle to get you down. And I think she's actually a terrible defensive wrestler. I mean, she was taken out seven times by Laura Copio in her last eight, five times by Tilia Santos. Um, if you put her on your back, she really struggles to get up. I mean, look at the Tilia Santos fight. But she has good cardio. Like, she, even though it's 15 minutes, like, she's going hard the entire 15 minutes. Now, move over to Kim. Kim is, you know, she's been inactive, so it's it's hard to really grasp where she is at this point of her career. But uh, she's huge for the weight class. She's tall. She's a high-volume striker. Little flat-footed, stands, stands up tall besides being tall. Uh, she's kind of slow, but she hits hard to her credit. She likes. She also likes to, to throw down in the pocket. She'll eat a punch to land a better one. Uh, that's because she trusts her chin. Uh, you look, go back, and she has got a good chin. You go back to her Alexa Grasso fight. Uh, Alexa Grasso was teeing off on her, and, and she just kept going, throwing uh, like combinations or like six punch combinations. Uh, no kicks though. She kind of head hunts everything she's throwing. She ignores the body. She will battle in the clinch, but Alexa Grasso, who's moving up in weight class, was actually out muscling her, which was really surprising because there was like not only is Alexa Grasso like moving up in weight class at that time. Like Kim's big for the weight class. You could see the difference in the less girls was still winning the clinch. And she's got weak takedown defense. She was she was out wrestled by Antonina Shemchenko. So that's that tells you all you need to know about her her wrestling. Though she does have three subs on her record. So as far as prediction go, I got no confidence in this pick. I wouldn't be surprised if McCann um just out wrestles her. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Kim just you know, gets the fight she wants with the feet in the pocket, and she just outvolumes McCann, which you know, um, not many people can say they can do. Kim might be the one. That says McCann could also win it on the feet, and she should have the advantage in the wrestling. She just has, simply has more avenues for victory. So I'm going to take McCann, but with no confidence. So give me McCann by decision. Uh, I I certainly couldn't have said any of that better myself. I'm leaning McCann for the same reasons you are. Uh, can a, a decent offensive wrestler in just kind of a grindy way, you know, not a traditional, you know, like outside shot, uh, terrible defensive wrestler, but I don't think that's going to come into play here against Kim. And like, like you say, like she just, ha- she has more avenues to victory. I can see her winning it on the feet. And certainly if she does turn to her wrestling, Kim is someone that she can probably get down, uh, to the canvas. This should be a really fun fight. Uh, and I'm I'm gonna go with McCann by decision as well. But again, you know, just should be a really fun one, and it'll be interesting to see what Kim has, you know, after a year on the shelf. The UFC Fight Night 191 main card kicks off with a lightweight matchup between Patty Pimblett and Luigi Vendramini. Uh, Pimblett, the 26-year-old from Liverpool, is a former Cage Warriors featherweight champ. This is his. Uh, Long-awaited UFC debut. Uh, he signed with the UFC early this year and uh, proceeded to celebrate by pissing off every fighter he possibly could over social media and, and interviews. So, uh, you know, a polarizing figure, you know, but uh, all publicity is good publicity. Uh, he enters the UFC off of a two-fight winning streak in Cage Warriors, and he's taking on Benjamini, the 25-year-old Brazilian by way of uh, Denver, is nine and two overall. He's one and two in the UFC. Uh, he took a short notice debut against Eliseo Zaleski dos Santos. 
you know, lost in the second round. But since then, he beat Jessen Ayari, and most recently, back in June, he lost a majority decision to Ferris Zayam at UFC 263. Uh, Pimblet is the slight favorite to get the job done in his uh, UFC debut. He is minus 140. Benjamini is available at plus 120 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, who do you like in this one? And obviously, you know, Pimblet, a guy synonymous with cage warriors in a lot of ways i yeah. i think he might have the most fights in cage warriors of, of anybody he debuted there when he was 18 years old uh, i think he has 14 fights in cage warriors uh you know tell me you know what you think of his ceiling in the ufc yeah so pemlet like you said it, it seems like we've been waiting for him to make his debut in a major organization and, and i'm not trying to ask cage warriors i'm talking about like cage Warriors still the regional the regional to the uk uh, or, or Europe, I should, not UK, all of Europe, I should say. Uh, not one that's more on the global stage. But it seemed like we've been waiting for him to either make it to UFC or Bellator or something like that forever. I mean, not many people, this is kind of following us, not many people, while they're fighting in cage warriors, is getting interviews with Ara Hawani, who is probably the third biggest media member in, in the world of MMA besides... You know, me and Ben as as one yeah. and two. Yeah. Well, you know, besides us two, like he's the next guy. Like, not many people get interviews with with him before you're in the UFC. There's not many fighters in the UFC that can get an interview with with Ariel Hawani. And Patty Pimlet is a regular. Yep. Now, um, you asked me what is his ceiling. Well, his ceiling is could be huge. I mean, the guy's 26 years old, so he's he's hardly a finished product. What I like about him coming in, he's got I think he's got 19. Or, 20 professional fights, and you mentioned he's been in Cage Warriors forever. He's also been in high-profile fights, like not even not necessarily like the highest competition. You know, uh, he's faced good competition: Julian Arosa, Soren Bach. Like, th- there's been some uh, Nadar Armani. There's, there's been some good guys that he's fought, but he's been in so many fights that he's gotten a lot of media attention, a lot of attention by fans. So, and and just big pressure situation. So I don't think his UFC debut will have a big phase. I'm like, I don't expect him to get octagon jitters. He, he seems to uh, embrace the kind of the, this excitement. He kind of reminds me of Dylan Danis in the fact that he he's polarizing. Some people love him. More people hate him. And he's a grappling wizard. Yep. It's kind of Dylan Danis. Uh, but if Dylan, hold on in fairness, He's not the grappler that Dylan Dennis is in the grappling world, so I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying that that the comparison is perfect. So don't at me. Also, <laughs> also I understand he has like I just talked about how many professional fights he had compared to Dylan Dennis. I'm not saying oh I'm talking about the personalities. Just so it was close enough. I'm sure there's somebody else who's better comparison. Anyways, also also Pimblet fights in a real weight class where Dennis just fights whoever Bellator <laughs> will find to make it's, 175. Yeah, it's a Dan, it's Dennis weight class. <laughs> Uh, so uh, on the feet, he's, he's a pretty limited boxer. Uh, that's an era that he needs to grow in. Not a lot of power, but recently uh, he's a good athlete. He's, he's pretty elusive. We've seen that. We've seen a lot more kicks, like throwing good kicks. His last fight, he started throwing a really beautiful question mark kick that he was landing. Um, occasional flying attack, though he does drop his hands, leave him open to counter strike, especially when he, if he throws naked leg kicks, uh, he backs straight up. He definitely wants to grapple. That's his. That's his forte. More of an upper body clinch. Get on your upper body. 
Trippier, not a power wrestler. Like he's not going to run through your hips. He's more of a guy who's just going to create a scramble, try to get something going. And he's got a weak takedown defense. I haven't come on. I haven't come to the conclusion that that he's a weak defensive wrestler, or is he just a guy that he's he wants to get the fight to the ground? So why fight it? You know, like he he allows it, which a lot of top grapplers do. Uh, but if it's a f- the ground, slick back takes. He's very flexible. He has a submission threat. He he chains stub attempts together well. Uh, move on to Vanderami, Armenia, however you say his name. He's only he's only twenty five himself. Uh, off and his wins, he's got a perfect finish rate. He's well rounded. I I really like his head movement. He has very bob and weave style. We started his last fight. He bounces his head off the center line. He throws hard. He loves his overhand right. He showed he showed good power in his last fight when he where he hurt um, Fari Zayam, Zayam or how you say his name, a, good, a very good striker. He hurt him, almost knocked him out. Uh, he throws a lot of power shots if he gets in the pocket. He tends to reach a little bit, though, leaving him open to counters. Uh, I don't know if Patty Pimlet's the guy that could hurt him on the feet to make him pay for those. A lot of leg kicks. He's got a fast high kick. He doesn't. He's also like Pimlet. He doesn't have great entries, though. He, he tends to get on the hips and then doesn't drive through. Uh, and and that's probably a guy that, in, and I've said this many times in jujitsu, like you see them drill. They're like, all right, five minutes of, of drilling takedowns, and it's not really drilling. It's like reaching for a leg, lifting it up in the air, and that's about it. So I think that's kind of what happens with him. He hasn't really like he hasn't got tied up. In, in you, know, you see Chad Mendez doing the driving through with with ropes on him and stuff, uh, or all the bungee cords. Like he hasn't done those. That's why he doesn't have the drive. Um, he is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, though. He if he's on if he's on the ground, he advanced position, good ground and pound. He does have four submission wins of his own, and he's got good cardio. We've seen it many times on the regional scene and his last fight. If it's uh, not many times on the regional scene, but uh, his last fight, and I've seen it other times where he presses hard. He presses hard the whole fight uh, when he gets going. So, as far as prediction goes, you, ask, you the first question you asked me was, "What is the ceiling of Patty Pimlet?" I, I don't know if this, I don't know if I if I can give you the answer to the ceiling, but I give the answer of what his floor is, and honestly, I don't think it's that high. I've never really understood the hype of this guy. Uh, he's he's been matched up against, you know, four or five good quality guys, and he lost most of those fights. That Narabani, Saran Bach. A lot of people thought he should have lost to Julian Arosa. This is a winnable fight for him, and I do think he's UFC level. I just like I don't expect to see him in a title fight. Or anything like that, uh, but like I said, this is a winnable fight for him. He is the favorite, but I'm going with Luigi. I know Twitter's gonna say Twitter's been saying like, yeah, his striking is really bad, but he's only 26. He should improve. Yeah, I agree. But his opponent's 25, who isn't really known for his striking. He's even younger, and his stand up can improve. And I actually think I've seen more of his stand up. And he's a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt himself. I think this fight might. Like, look a lot like, well, hold on. Last week we had Vanessa Demopoulos. So she fights very similar to Patty Pimlet. Like, <laughs> weak scrambler, really good on the get, if he gets to the ground, can throw up some mission attempts, uh, a lot of kicks. And I wasn't that high in Vanessa Demopoulos. Uh, I'm not throwing, um, I'm not throwing Patty Pimlet in that, that group where I said, you know, there was like a group of guys where I say they, they got good submissions, but then they're a weak wrestler and they have no stand up and, and prove me wrong. Like, I'm not throwing that. I think he's better than that level of guys, um, but not much. And you know what? He's going to get some percentage to black belt in his debut. 
I'm going with the upset. Give me, uh, give me uh, Luigi. Wow, there you go. Uh, one pick for uh, the the debut of Patty the Batty to be to be spoiled. Uh, <clears throat> I I was surprised that they matched him this tough out of the gate because Ventimini is. I mean, he's a decent fighter. Like he gets a complete mulligan on debuting on short notice against a decent sized welterweight. You know, like what what was what was going to happen? Uh, but it's not just that he's a he's a decent fighter, but as you pointed out, his strengths match up well with Pimblet's. He's not a guy that Pimblet is just going to be able to dummy on the ground, or if he is, well, that tells us something else about Patty Pimblet. <clears throat> I and I like that you pointed out that Pimblet is he's a pretty good athlete because I tagged him as a minus athlete maybe four years ago when the word started to get out around and I'm like, uh, this is kind of like a skinny baby of, of a guy. He is pretty like flexible and wiry, but he, like, he's not strong. He's not terribly fast. He's grown into his body in his mid, in his mid twenties. And he's kind of a deceptive athlete at this point. Uh, you know, he's a guy that I bet by the time he's 30, like there'll be no question of him ever dropping back down to, to featherweight. Uh, I can I can totally see the upset happening here. This is a bit of a trap fight for Pimblet, and I mean the guy's mouth has been writing checks all spring and summer that that his body's now going to have to cash. Like, th there's going to be either like glee and or tears on on Twitter after this fight. Uh, <clears throat> but I I am going to go with Pimblet to get the job done. Um, not hugely confident in it, and I don't think he's going to find the submission. But uh, give me Pimblet to just win enough scrambles, have Vendramini in some peril on the ground, and win at least two out of three rounds. So uh, I, I have Patty Pimblet by decision, but very interesting fight. And I think we'll know a lot more about his floor and ceiling eh, probably about five minutes into this thing. Yeah, did he did he get into it on Twitter with Deporio? With, uh, with who? Yeah, uh, no, he got into it with with every Georgian oh, fighter. Yeah, no, but, but like specifically uh, Taporia. Like, is there a more a worse stylistic matchup for him than Taporia? Oh, like Taporia, who is, uh, you know, the same stripe of fighter stylistically, but is a physical tank. Oh, that's a terrible, terrible matchup for Pimblet. Yeah. And, and before we move on, did, have you seen this Sean Strickland, Dylan Danis trash talk? Speaking of Dylan no. Danis trash talk. Yeah, do do yourselves a favor. Don't leave the show now, okay. or if you do, just pause it. If you guys, if, if listeners at home, just pause it. Maybe share it. Tell your friends about. Write, write a nice review. Put a nice comment. Uh, but then, when you're done, go go to Instagram and look up Dylan Danis, or just Google it. You'll find it somewhere. Sean Strickland, Dylan Danis. Sean Strickland gave the scariest trash talk of all time. It's like Hannibal Lecter, like serial killer, scary. But fantastic, by the way. He's, like he's terrible. It's absolutely fantastic, but yeah, just check. No, he's got he's got an edge to him. He's, I mean, he's a guy that if he didn't have fighting, he is not the guy you'd want pouring your latte at Starbucks, you know, or like selling you tires at the Costco. Like, he is a guy with sociopathic tendencies who needed an outlet for it. Like, thank <laughs> God he has fighting. <laughs> you know, what, you know what I mean? Because you're a cop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you're at Walmart. You're at Walmart, and he's like stocking the shelf, and you're like, "Hey, uh, 
I always see smooth peanut butter. You have crunchy, and then he just flips out and just like <laughs> kicks you in the nuts. And, and, and <laughs> like, what's what? No, nobody likes crunchy, and then just like Muay Thai plum clinches you and just still oblivion. <laughs> no, actually, it's it's Sean Strickland's way. He does it just jab you in the face like 10 times in a row. <laughs> You're so bloody. <laughs> Next up, it is a light heavyweight contest between Modestus Bukowskis and Khalil Roundtree. Uh, Bukowskis, the 27-year-old Lithuanian uh, training out of England, is 11-4 overall. He is 1-2 since joining the UFC as yet another uh, Cage Warriors champion. He uh, won his UFC debut over Andreas Mikhailidis. Since then, he has lost two in a row. Uh, to Jimmy Crute and then to Mihal Olakshechuk uh, back in March. That one a fairly controversial split decision. Uh, overwhelmingly, media and fans seem to score that for Bukowskis, but nonetheless, he finds himself on a two-fight skid. He'll be taking on Roundtree. The 31-year-old American is eight and five with one no contest. As a pro, he is four and five with one no contest since joining the UFC out of the 23rd season of The Ultimate Fighter. He is also on a two-fight losing streak, uh, having lost a quick one to Iwan Kutalaba all the way back in September uh, 2019. Came back uh, this January and dropped a unanimous decision to Martin Procneo at UFC 257. Odds on this one are fairly close, but Bukowskis is your favorite. He's minus 150. You can get Roundtree around uh, plus 130 or so. Uh now, considering that we're just a couple days removed from finding out that Sam Alvey is going to get a chance to extend his uh, winless streak in the UFC to eight straight, it might be overstating the case to say that this is a pink slip derby. You know, two guys on two fight losing streaks. Obviously, for non-contenders, three in a row, you and I both remember when that was basically an automatic pink slip. That's not the case anymore, but... Suffice it to say that neither of these guys wants to be the guy who has to test that. Uh, two guys really in need of a win. I recall in our preview of, uh, I don't remember which of Bukowskis' fights it was, probably the Alexei Chuck fight, where I said that he, I mean, he wants to be an out kickboxer and he thrives on controlling the distance. And I just don't think he has the athleticism, physicality to do it to UFC level light heavyweights. I mean, I was proven wrong in that fight. I certainly scored that one for, for Bukowskis. Here's a guy in Roundtree that's really, really going to test that. Uh, Khalil Roundtree is a Jekyll and Hyde fighter. I, I think getting signed to the UFC so early, like getting on tough and getting signed so early as like a 4-0 and fighter was the worst thing that ever happened to this guy. It would have been fantastic if he had 10 fights on the regional scene. Uh, to really continue to hone his craft. But, I mean, when you're knocking people out in 40 seconds, just, like, some of the nastiest knockouts I've ever seen in regional MMA. You, remember when he, you're remember when he kicked the guy in the ribs while he was down? <laughs> like, like that was one of the most brutal things I've ever seen. Yeah. I, <laughs> but, I mean, the guy was, he was thrown into the, the shark tank. You, uh, he, and... He he feasts or famines from one fight to the next, and I can't plumb the depths of why. Uh, his win over Paul Craig back in 2017, that thing has aged incredibly well because I, I mean, for for a couple of years after that, I thought, well, you know, that's Paul Craig. You know, 
you can get him out of there early or he's going to stick around and, you know, and, and and get the Hail Mary submission on you. No, Paul Craig has turned out to be actually a very good uh, light heavyweight. And he's done it with the exact same skill set he had in 2017. Just he's turned out to be good. Uh, Khalil Roundtree, like blasting Gokan Saki, is one of my most surprised moments as a, a MMA observer. And his win over Eric Anders was one of the that, that's about as wrong as I've ever been about my prediction for a fight. I even thank goodness I wasn't doing these previews yet, but like on multiple podcasts that week, I was like, oh man, you know, Roundtree's talking about how he's been training at Tiger Muay Thai. He took the, you know, he took the Thailand fighter vacation. Nobody ever comes back from that thing, you know, better than they left. They just come back with a better tan. And then he made Anders look like he'd never even sparred before. He's now regressed to the mean a little bit. Uh, Kudalaba, who's a guy who is like equally physical, like, you know, Kudalaba is as explosive and strong and athletic as Roundtree. And incredibly, you know, he might even be a little more disciplined than round, the Roundtree. You know, he, he put him away. Marcin Pracnio was able to manage him. I'm just terrified to pick this fight because I don't know which Khalil Roundtree is going to show up. If the right one shows up, like, he's stronger, faster than Bukowskis, and not as good a kickboxer, but, a you know, a, a, compar a comparably solid kickboxer. And that's a nightmare for Bukowskis because his problem is, you know, making his game run on, on better athletes. I can't pick it, though. To me, Bukowskis is more of a known quantity here. Uh, and because of that, even though I could see Roundtree just, you know, sawing his legs off or, you know, knocking him out. I'm going to take Bukowskis to just win two out of three rounds of a pretty fun kickboxing fight on the feet. Give me Bukowskis by decision. Yeah, Claire Roundtree is definitely one of those guys that should be in Ben's yell at the TV fighters because <laughs> the guy's so inconsistent. But yeah, like you said, when he came back from Thailand against Eric Anders, he looked incredible. It was one of those guys. It's it's like when Ian Heinish came back from Thailand and suddenly I was like, whoa, where the hell did Ian Heinish come with this stand-up and you never saw it again? Uh, so Roundtree, Southpaw, he's so fast on the feet when he's throwing um, great power, chopping leg kicks, crushing kicks to, to the body, the liver area, uh, has huge power. He, he, he just look at it. He just looks incredibly strong. But he's so inconsistent. I mean, you go to like Marcin Prakneo, like – Get beat up by Marcin Park now. Like that was a fight that he was. Everyone expected him to win by like walk off face plant knockout, and, and it was one of his worst fights. Uh, he's a horrendous wrestler. He, if he's taken down, he really struggles to get back up. Um, I mean, Ian Kutalaba stopped him with elbows in, in their fight. Um, now Bukakis. I know I'm screwed. Modestus, I'll say. I'm really going to mess up his name. Uh, light on the feet, pretty fast. As you mentioned, he's he's an outfighter. He he wants to stay on the outside and, and pick apart from a range. Straight shots down the pipe. Uh, occasional spinning attacks. A lot of calf kicks. Weak defensive uh, wrestler himself, but he is good at getting back up. Um, he, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I... I am worried about his chin as he was knocked out by Jim Crew as these came up, uh, but he has good cardio. Like he, he's he won championships on the regional scene, so he, he can work hard. I mean, he can, he can go deep in the fight, so 15 minutes should be shouldn't be an issue for him. Uh, and 
And another note, I, I side note that I forgot to mention is he, he likes to defend takedowns, but instead of like sprawling out, just elbowing, and it worked twice for him uh, on the regional scene, landing uh, downward elbow knockouts. So that's something you look for. Though I don't expect Khalil Roundtree to go for takedown. You went with uh, Modestus, and I 100% understand your your reasoning. I feel like. I feel the same way about Clear Roundtree as I felt as about making my pick last week with Abdul Razak Al Hassan. The the safe bet is Modestus. Like he, like my rationale says, like, do you really want to take Clear Roundtree? Like, no, don't do it. Like, what are you doing? Like, even now, I know I'm taking Clear Roundtree, but I'm like, like, what are you doing? He's gonna lose. But then I just always think about like. The, the highlights, the flashes, the the moments he's had, and like the best clear round she shows up. And I think he knocks him out. Like he styles on him. He's he's moving. He's kicking. He's and I might have got lucky last week with the Al Hassan okay. pick. Okay, I am going to interrupt you here since Keith is teeing it up for me. I don't want him to have to blow his own horn. So not only is he the only person on this show who picked Abdul Razak Al Hassan to beat Alessio DiCirico, he's the only person in the 15 person Sherdog uh, Pick'em League to pick Abdul Razak Al Hassan to beat Alessio DiCirico. He won the Super Cajones Award last week for, for being the only one to make the right pick. So let, let me hand that back to you. But just everybody <laughs> know you, that when you. he's picking Roundtree here, you know, there, there's some method to the madness sometimes. But, but you know what my method is? Like, I just, like, I won that bet, and I'm at Vegas, and I won that bet, and I had all that money, and I have, like, a big, like, I get walking <laughs> around with those cups full of coins, and I was like, whoa, look at that guy. And, I'm, and like, your wife's pulling on, I'm like, honey, let's go, let's go. I'll be like, no, babe, I can't win. I got a method. I can't, like, I got this. He's, he's telling me, my method's working. Look, look at my cup. And she's like, no, honey, let's go. And, and like, I'm like, babe, we're getting the, like, presidential suite tonight. Like, this is it. Like, you're quitting your job next week. Like, this is going to be insane. And then, like, later on, we're, like, splitting the, the $3 the $3 breakfast because we can't afford it because my method didn't work. So I'm I'm waiting. This is the part where I'm going all in, and the, and the dealer's just, just smiling at you saying, like, you idiot. Like, you should have left. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go ground sheet and screw it. I'm going to say he knocks him on the first round just because if you're going to go big, go big. Uh, but, yeah, guys, don't don't follow me on this bet. <laughs> <laughs> there give you me, go. Give we me clear entry, first round knockout. There, <laughs> we have some dissension at least. We head down to the welterweight division, and it is a matchup between Alex Morono and David Zavada. Uh, one that was put together on fairly short notice. Morono was in Las Vegas last week, cornering uh, his man, your tough 29 bantamweight winner, Ricky Tercios. And I guess they just said, hey, you want to stick around and have a fight? Morono doesn't cut much weight. And he said, sure, something like that. Uh, at any rate, Morono, the 31-year-old Texan, is 19-7 and with one no contest overall. He is 8-4 and with one no contest in the UFC. Uh, he had been on a Legends tour recently, uh, dropping a unanimous decision to Anthony Pettis last December, coming back with a first-round knockout of Donald Cerrone at UFC on ESPN 24 in May. Uh, he is now taking on Zavada, who I suppose is a, a legend if you're really into KSW. The 31-year-old German is 17 and six overall. He is one and three since joining the UFC back in 2018. Most recently, dropped a uh, split decision to Ramazan Ameev at UFC on ABC One back in January. 
prior to that, he had not fought since late 2019 when he uh, triangle choked Abubakar Nurmagomedov. Odds on this one slightly favor Morono, the short notice uh, step up. He is minus 145. Zavada is uh, plus 125 as the slight underdog. Uh, I will say that my only real concern here is like Morono's gas tank. That's that, that's it. You know, he's while he's always in, you know, good, good shape. He, he runs a gym. And I know that he isn't a guy that like has to start tapering down to cut 25 pounds to make 170. You know, he's not, you know, he's not Kamaru Usman from a physical standpoint. You, you always wonder when a guy's stepping up on like eight or 10 days notice how much gas he's going to have. And that's especially the case because Morono is a guy that fights in the first round like a bat out of hell anyway. So if he does that and say he wins a 10-9 first round over Zavada and he's sucking wind in the corner, you 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 can already see, you know, the straightforward decision loss coming. Uh, <clears throat> because otherwise, I think he matches up really well with Zavada. He's a, you know, Morono, he's a second-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but if he has his way, you'll never know it. You know, the, the man has told me face-to-face, he's, he's like, you know, I, I'll, I'll never be the guy to take it to the ground. I want to slug it out. Um, but having said that, I think that'd be his best route to victory against Zavada. Uh, Zavada's got some holes in his game, but he's he's a big, strong guy. Uh, you know, d- definitely more of a physically imposing guy than, than Morono is. He can crack on the feet, and he can crack on, on the ground, you know, be got some nasty ground and pound, but he's a hard hitter on the feet, uh, you know, kicks as well as punches, but he really, what he wants to do is punch. Like, uh, he had some highlights with like high kicks and stuff in KSW, but when he's happiest is when he's punching. And if Morono spends too much time in the danger zone there with him, like he's going to get the worst of it. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, in, in a close fight, I, I am going to lean uh, towards Morono here, not just because he's a bud, but just, you know, I, I think it matches up well. I'm going to, you know, go on on faith that, you know, he, he's in decent shape for this. And I expect him to probably win the first two rounds and then have to hold on in, in the third and hope not to get finished or 10-8ed. But give me uh, Alex Morono by decision. Yeah, so... What a re- really weird matchup. Like, Alex Morano gets the best win of his career, and instead he gets rewarded with a short-notice fight against David Zawada. Uh, yeah, so Morano, he's just fun, dude. Like, like you're right. He, he's not the most technically sound. He'll never win for a title. Beating, knocking out Cabo Cerrone is going to be the highlight of his career. Which is, it's, I'm glad for a guy like that. Like we said that on the recap show, I'm glad for like a, and I, and I don't mean this as an insult, but like a UFC journeyman, you know, mm-hmm. to to have this moment for the rest of his life. He'll, he gets, a, you know, one day he'll show his kids, look, look, oh, the guy has the most wins in the UFC, but didn't have a win against me, you know? Like that's, that's mm-hmm. fun bragging, you know? Um, but so as far as his style, like he's fun. Like he's a wild man. I said that last time. He's he's a high output brawler. He wants to throw down power shots all the time. Uh, he doesn't have massive power, but I would I would say he's he he does have plus power. Um, he unloads on every punch. 
but when he wants to just slip and rip, like he's pretty smooth. He's pretty, uh, he's pretty elusive, uh, solid leg kicks, which is a, which is a big part of his game. You mentioned he has a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, doesn't use it nearly enough. He's not a great wrestler, probably a weak defense wrestler. You go back to like, I, and I've mentioned this fight a long time because it's probably his, probably his worst showing over a 15 minute period was probably the Jordan Mean fight where he kept getting yep. taken out and he couldn't really get back up. Um, but he, he he is crafty. Like he's he's got a little bit of a Gerald Mearshot, not in the sense of like getting submission, but just being a veteran who who does like, or, or maybe actually probably a better comparison might be. Um, Who's the other guy that I always pick against? The uh, the guy that was out forever. He got he just fought. I picked against him again. Uh, he's got like a he lost to Gregor Gillespie, but that was like it. He beats everybody else. What's his oh. name? One of those guys. Anyway, my whole point is he's one of these veterans that is much better than like I expect. And every time he wins, I'm like, oh man, Asmarino is better than I give him credit for. Um, I don't like that he's taken this fight on short notice, but Alex Moreno has done it before, and he's such a veteran. That he like he knows what he needs to do to be prepared for a fight for 15 minutes. That it's not like a guy making his UFC debut coming in, so it doesn't bother me as much as other guys. Now Zawada, he, he he's a, he's also a high volume guy. He he presses the action. He marches forward. Uh, he throws hard, busy jab. He just blitzes with high big combinations. Uh, also has good calf kicks. Not much of defense though. Uh, gets hit a lot, just has a Tito Ortiz style of uh, kind of pillaring, but um, not not rolling with the punches at all. Uh, <laughs> but if he gets inside, strong clinch game, loves knees in the clinch, he will go for a takedown. Uh, but though he is a terrible wrestler, I mean, you saw that in his last fight where he kept getting taken, that was the difference in the fight. But good get-up game, like, he was hard to hold on. And he's an aggressive grappler on, on the ground. If he's on top, he advances position, and he gets submissions. We saw that against the Nurmagomedov. He can pull off submissions off his back. He almost had a submission in his last fight. Well, I shouldn't say almost had a submission, but he was throwing up triangle attempts in his last fight. Uh, as far as wins, this is my fight of the night pick. I think like when I was doing tape study in Zawada, I actually think he's better than his record shows. Like I watched him, like wow, like his last fight against uh, uh, um, Ramazan was like really competitive and not and i didn't expect it to be and but moreno has really faced some some tough competition overall this is probably a step down in competition for him i think zawada is going to give him everything moreno can handle but i think moreno is just slightly better uh, on the feet where i expect most of it to be give me moreno to win a decision in an absolute war Fight there you night. go two picks uh and a fight of the night pick for the uh, welterweight Vince Pichel, Alex Morona. The co-main event of UFC Fight Night 191 is a heavyweight matchup between Tom Aspinall and Sergey Spivak. Uh, this one, uh, second fight in a row that was put together on uh, fairly short notice as Aspinall had been scheduled to fight Sergey Pavlovich. Uh, Pavlovich was forced to uh, withdraw and incepts other Sergey, Sergey Spivak, I will say this. It is a sign of the health of the of the UFC heavyweight division that on short notice, they managed to make another fight between two heavyweights in their 20s who are in the top 15. Like, that's just something that you wouldn't have been able to do pretty much at any point in the existence of the UFC heavyweight division. Uh, you know, just the fact that we didn't get, like, well, he's not around anymore, but we didn't get, like, another, like, Junior Dos Santos dragged out of the grave, you know, to, uh, to fight uh, one of these guys. 
Uh, Aspinall, the 28-year-old from Manchester, is 10-2 and overall. He is a sterling 3-0 and since joining the UFC out of Cage Warriors. Uh, he's beaten Jake Collier, Alain Bodeau, and most recently, back in February, Andre Arlovsky, whom he absolutely ran over on the way to a second-round rear-naked choke. Uh, Spivak, the 26-year-old Moldovan, is 13-2 and overall. He is 4-2 uh, and in the uh, UFC. He is on a three-fight win streak. Uh, since his last loss, which was a unanimous decision to Marcin Tybura, he's beaten Carlos Felipe, uh, Jared Vandera, and most recently, just back in June, Alexi Olenek, over whom he took a pretty one-sided unanimous decision. Uh, nonetheless, odds on this one do favor Aspinall. He is minus 270. You can get Spivak at plus 230. Uh, my thought here is I loved the Pavlovich fight. I thought that was... A, if either guy won that fight uh, convincingly, you could have put me down for it. Yeah, I'll take them to probably get the uh, heavyweight title shot at some point in the next couple of years. I still like this fight. Like I say, as replacement short notice fights go, especially in the heavyweight division, this is really good. Problem is, Aspinall is an absolutely miserable style matchup for Sergey Spivak. Like... I didn't I didn't think Spivak was UFC material early on. You know, he lost two of his first three. He lost to Walt, got knocked out by Walt Harrison seconds, just got soundly out-wrestled by Martin Tybura. And in between, he beat Taito Ivasa on the ground, which especially back in 2019, just no great shakes. I've been proven wrong. Uh, Spivak is absolutely a UFC-level heavyweight uh, and a decent one at that. Like I say, he's hovering around the edges of the, the rankings. But... He, at his heart, is a grinder who wants to wrestle, wants to get his opponent down, wants to beat him up on the ground. He will take a submission. I mean, technically, he has more submissions than than uh, knockouts, but it all runs off of him beating you up on the ground and then either taking your neck or just continuing to punch you. The problem is that he has no answers when he can't do that. I picked him to beat Martin Tybura just because I could not stand Tybura at the time. He was on such a miserable run. And we're just talking about last February, like right before COVID. And I was wrong. Just Tybura was too big, too strong. Spivak couldn't win the wrestling, and he had nothing for him. Here against Aspinall, he is going against a guy who is a he is a remarkable athlete by the standards of, of a heavyweight. I mean, he doesn't cut a bathing suit figure like Surreal Gone, like he wasn't built in the lab to steal your girl. But for a guy who's the size of a house, like, you know, 6'5", 255, 260, he is light on his feet, just a, you know, a big framed guy who nonetheless is like really coordinated and quick on the feet as well as on the ground. Like it, we all saw against uh, Arlovsky, just, you know, how quick he was in, in transition on the ground uh, and how easily he took his back took his neck again like i i like both both these guys i think they are both deservedly ranked heavyweights i i still think the world of aspinall i do think of him as a future title contender and maybe not even that far in the future and he has a really favorable style matchup here i expect that he's either just going to beat spivak up badly on the feet and spivak won't be able to get him down and just aspinall knocks him out or Aspinall takes Spivak down and, like, uh, beats him, uh, like, TKOs him on the ground or, or clubs and subs him. But one way or the other, give me Tom Aspinall by second round. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say second round uh, TKO.
Yeah. So, yeah, this is a great matchup. I, I think you hit the the nail right on the head when you said like the the heavyweight division has been better name wise, like been bigger names. You know, when Brock Lesnar and Frank Mir and these guys were in it, and Randy Couture and this and that. But the health of the division is so good right now because it, we have this influx of young guys, which we probably haven't had since Josh Barnett, Andre Alaski, Tim Sylvia, like that long ago. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 I mean, I might be forgetting a couple guys, but, but overall, you, you get what I'm saying. Uh, Tom Aspinall, I mean, this guy is just getting finishes in the UFC. He's a, he's a big dude. As you said, he's six foot five, he's so athletic. He, he, for he's athletic for any weight class, but especially heavyweight. Quick, good movement, light on the feet, hits extremely hard. He's a good boxer. I and mean, this is a guy that was boxing with Tyson Fury and getting Tyson Fury ready for fights. Uh, I mean, that right there speaks for itself. I'm not, and guys, I'm not a boxing guy, but I, even if I knew who Tyson Fury is, that's, that speaks a lot. Uh, changes stances, accurate strikes, uh, can mix in takedown. He's a good grappler. As you mentioned, it's a Brazilian just to black belt. Um, and then he submitted former UFC champion Andre Olowski in his last fight. Move over to Spivak. Spivak, uh, kind of the complete opposite. He's he's unathletic. He's flat-footed. But he, he just – one of these guys that has somehow gotten everything out of his athleticism. And, and I love that. He's got a decent jab. I mean, you go back to his Carlos Felipe fight. He, he, he pieced up Carlos Felipe, straight, straight punches down the pipe, threw some, threw some hard kicks. Um, defensively, because some holes, he just kind of pillars to defend shots, but good takedowns, uh, solid entries. He loves that, like, uh, snatch single will grind against the cage if you defend takedowns. Uh, he likes lateral drops, which you know I hate, but he, he likes doing it. Solid ground and pound on top. And I think beating Alexio Linick spoke a lot, like, that was his first big win. Um, he got some trouble at times. But was able to, you know, clearly win a decision, get past that hump, kind of proving that he's that he was not he's not a like a C level heavyweight that he is uh, a guy that deserves co-main event slots. Um, but he's taking this fight on short notice, and heavyweight is heavyweight's a division that you probably can take a little bit on short notice because it has a lot more power. But remember, Spivak has a style where you need cardio because he's gonna grind. So you wonder was this. Was this a, a good decision or not? Now, as far as prediction goes, both guys are young. Uh, Spivak is much better than I first thought he would be. Um, but I see one of these guys as a top 15 ceiling kind of guy. I see another guy as a true title challenger who even has an outside chance. Outside, like I'm not predicting, but an outside chance of winning the championship. Like I wouldn't be shocked. I bet by my breakdown, you guys know which one I'm saying has a ceiling of a top 15 and which guy has a ceiling of even winning the heavyweight championship. I like Aspinall. I think Aspinall styles on him. I think he uses movements. I think he knocks him out, too. Uh, I think he knocks him out. I'm, Spivak might be able to close the distance in, in, in kind of waste moments in the fight, but when they're at distance, Aspinall's going to style on him. I think he's going to take a while, kind of beat him up, and knocks him out in the second round. And... Aspinall, you said that like he's um, was he like negative? Was it two forty five or something like that? Uh, more than that, it's uh minus two seventy. Yeah, oh, two seventy. Okay, if it gets like negative two twenty five, negative around that, like I I would bet on Aspinall at that 
at that margin. Uh, but as far as my best bet, right now Aspinall is negative 160 to win inside the distance. This guy, he's stopping everybody. I think uh, Spivak versus Arlowski is probably about equal skill level at this point or, you know, range. And, and he made Arlowski. And I know, obviously, we're talking about one of the oldest guys in the division versus the youngest, you know, well, younger guy in the division. I understand it's, it's not equivalent. But, I mean, like, levels right now, they're about the same. And Aspinall clowned on him. At negative 160, that's my best bet. I think that's a good bet. Him by TKO, KO, TKO is plus 150. You actually get get return value on that. I, I don't know if I, I'm not saying that's my best bet, but that's not a bad bet. Uh, before we move on to the main event, I do want to say if you do bet, um, please bet responsibly. Don't bet your house. Don't do any of that. Someone messaged me and asked me why I always say that. Like, well, The reason I said that is because I've actually known someone who, who was addicted to gambling. So just my own moral thing, I, I, I'm not against gambling, but I just want to say – if I am going to put out betting, to please do it responsibly. Anyways, so that's my bet. I like Aspinall. I think I, I and not only do I think Aspinall, I think like after this win, he's got like his next fight should be like a main event. Well, I I, I think you might be right. And hey, uh, the UFC is going to want to go to the UK at some point. With that, we come to the main event of UFC Fight Night 191. It is a middleweight scrap between Derek Brunson and Darren Till. Brunson, the 37-year-old North Carolinian, is 22-7 and overall. He's 13-5 and in the UFC. Uh, he is currently on a four-fight winning streak. Those coming over Elias Theodoro, Ian Heinish, Edmund Shabazian, and most recently uh, Kevin Holland whom he defeated by unanimous decision in the main event of UFC on ESPN 21 back in March. He'll be taking on Till. The 28-year-old from Liverpool is 18 and or sorry, 18-3 and 1 overall. He is 6-3 and 1 in the UFC. He is 1 and 1 since moving up to the middleweight division. Uh, at middleweight, he defeated Kelvin Gastelum by split decision back in November of 2019 then dropped a unanimous decision to uh, Robert Whitaker in the main event of UFC on ESPN 14 last July. It is now uh, 13 months later, and he returns to the cage in the main event of this card. Uh, Till is the the slight favorite here. He is minus 180, where you can get Brunson uh, plus 155 or so uh, as the underdog. Now, Keith, I am going to throw this to you for your analysis and pick first, but something I, I want to throw out there is I am shocked that Derek Brunson is the underdog here. Uh, I I mean, I wrote in a, a column that went up on Sherdog this week that Till's, I mean, Till's record now in, and this is now two divisions where he settled in as a top 10 contender and at welterweight even fought to a, a title shot, where it's built on a bit of smoke and mirrors and the eyeball test. His his best win at welterweight, and again, we're talking about a guy who made it to a title shot against Tyrone Woodley. His best win at welterweight, depending on what you prefer, is either a complete robbery over Stephen Thompson for, in a fight in which he missed weight by three and a half pounds, or knocking out Donald Cerrone, which, hey, you know, Cerrone's a great name, but that was Cerrone's third loss in a row at welterweight. Uh, like, that. that's it. That That's what his his resume at welterweight is built on he moves up to uh middleweight he won a split decision over kelvin gastelum which to be fair it didn't feel like a split decision like he beat gastelum 
but that has not aged particularly well as Gastelum has gone like one and three cents. And then there's no shame in losing a competitive fight to Robert Whitaker. He's pretty much the consensus number two guy in the division right now. But that's what his resume is built on to come in as a favorite over someone in Brunson who's been a pretty reliable top 10 contender in this division for like five years. And Brunson doesn't really even have any bad losses in, in that stretch. Like, I'm mystified by it. And, I mean, I'm kind of tipping my hand as to where I'm leaning uh, – towards the fight but you know kind of let me know where you see till settling in in this middleweight hierarchy and give me your take on the fight yeah sorry if i seem distracted by that. i was trying to pull up uh ma decisions for the stephen thompson fight but the ads were popping up and i couldn't do it and it was like i looked at it uh yesterday it was like three people who scored it for till and like 20 who scored it for thompson yeah so i'll say this i don't think it was a robbery Okay. Thompson. Uh, I mean, I got no issue. I, I I was trying to see if I scored it. That's why I was I was actually going to see where I scored it because I I didn't watch that fight in preparation for this one. Um, I just remember it being like both guys staring at each other for a large moments of time, and actually Till was the one who dropped Thompson. No, I understand that wins him the fifth round. I understand well, the, that. The re the real robbery was of anybody who paid money to see it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, so I don't at me like oh Stephen Thompson. He maybe won. It's been a long time. I just I, I remember being everyone being outraged and me not being outraged by the decision. Like, and I, um, I I feel like it was one of those ones like it's in England and it went to Till because it was in England. You know, oh, people say it went to Till because it was in England, but if it was in like Dallas and it went to Till, it wouldn't have been as big of an outrage. Um. Anyways, you said that his win over Kelvin Gastelum didn't age well. Yeah, that's that's one hundred percent true. Uh, his his loss to Jorge Masvidal hasn't really aged that well either. But the loss that really hasn't aged well is is the loss of Tyron Woodley. Now that one has not aged well at all. Uh, that's uh, the only like that's the only it, time in like the last four years of Woodley's career that he looked that good. And, you're you're and, absolutely and, right. And and I'm joking. I know that was I mean that was definitely. Woodley's best win in a long time, and I understand he was a champion at that time. And I'm, I'm just making a Jake Paul joke. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think, obviously, Tyron Woodley is beyond shot at this point. Um, I will say this: you said you were extremely surprised that Derek Brunson wasn't favored. I will say this: I'm surprised that Darren Till is this big of a favorite. Not that he's favored, because one, sometimes the bigger name. And I think Darren Till is the bigger name. We'll get a little extra uh, betting. Did it, what's the opening line for this fight? Do you have that available by any chance? Yeah, it opened. Uh, Brunson was plus one fifteen. Till was minus one thirty eight, and it's that, moved. It's moved wider. Yeah, yeah, which means people have been betting on Till, and I understand that. Um, even one thirty, like I'm, I'm a little surprised. Being um, the biggest thing for me is, is how inactive Darren Till has been. And yeah, I understand COVID had some issues with that. Changing of scenery for this card had some things with that. But also injuries have had a lot to do that. He's been injured. And that's one thing that I've always, I don't think we stress enough. Like we talk about others, like, all right, right now it's uh, football season is about to kick off a week from now. And during, you know, I bet you a lot of our listeners also play fantasy football. Me and Ben play fantasy football. Uh, we won't talk about what happened at the Super Bowl last year when me and Ben faced in the Super Bowl 
and I had, I'm not exaggerating, I had a 100-point lead. And somehow he had, like, four players left, and all four players scored, like, 35 points or or or, or three players, I think. It was, I don't know. Somehow I still can't believe I lost. Anyways. It was my it, Woodley over Till moment. It was just, oh like, my, my one moment of glory. <laughs> oh, my Lord. It, it, I felt it was, like, to me, I felt like it was uh, – uh, Anderson Silva, Chael Sonnen, like I was, I was, I won this thing. I, I'm winning. I, I'm over by 100 points. This is like the easiest championship I had. And I don't, remember, I don't remember which players you had, but they all went every single one. I'm like, ah, oh, all three of them need to drop 40 points on me, and then all three of them did. <laughs> Anyways, back to this. Um, oh, what well, I was gonna say, the reason why I brought up fantasy football is, like, when you drafting fantasy football, like we bring up injuries. If a guy was injured last year, it scares a lot of people away. But, like, MMA, we don't do that. Unless you're Dominic Cruz and you've been out for four years, you know, we talk about injuries. But if you're out for a year, we don't really ignore, like, these injuries never happen, you know? Um, and, and that's something I think we really need to look more at. And, and that's probably something me and Ben need to look more at and just MMA in general. Because, obviously, I mean, if, if injuries hurt basketball players and baseball players and soccer players and, you know, insert sport, it also hurts MMA. Anyways, back to this. Just in a style of, of Darren Till. One thing I like about Darren Till moving up to middleweight is he's big for middleweight. Like, how he made welterweight – well, I know Ben's going to insert a joke like he didn't make welterweight, but uh, the, the times that he did uh, is is shocking because he looks like a light heavyweight. Like, he looks – and it, it might have been that, I, you know, I was breaking down fights and one of the fights he – well, <laughs> two of the fights he went against at middleweight was Kelvin Gastelum and – Rob Whitaker, too small or middleweight. So maybe that's why he looks so big. And now Derek Brunson's a true, you know, bigger middleweight. So he, he might not, he's not going to have the big uh, advantage. But that's just something that stood out. So as far as his style, obviously he's southpaw. He uses, he uses feints really well. A lot of feints. I think he's fast. I, I think he's fast in middleweight. I think he's a good, he's a good striker from distance and mid range. He not so much in close, but like outside uh, striker. He's very good at picking up his opponent's timing. Uh, I go back to his last fight against Robert Whitaker. He landed a beautiful elbow in the first round as Whitaker tried to do what Whitaker does with those quick like blitzes. That's exactly what I'm talking about. We caught him. Uh, he hits hard. Uh, he dropped Robert Whitaker in that fight. He go back to Stephen Thompson in the fifth round. He dropped Stephen Thompson. Like those are two of the better strikers in, in the UFC. I know some will say, well, Robert Whitaker always gets hurt. So, yeah, okay, I I agree with that. I'll give you that. But Stephen Thompson does it. Like hitting Stephen Thompson's a good accomplishment. Um, his straight left is accurate. I he he loves his right hand uppercut, which he uses when guys try to shoot on him. Like anytime Robert Whitaker was dipping, he was trying to time it with a front uppercut. Um, it's a punch that. Uh, he landed. I can't. I can't remember who else it was that he landed that that lead up. Uh, I should have wrote this down. I apologize. But he landed another clean lead uppercut. Just something. You're talking about your unutilized strike. There's an unutilized strike is uppercuts in MMA, uh, especially when you're going against a wrestler. Uh, negatives though, he is he he hangs his hands a little low. He can be a little low up, not little low, but like a very low output at times. Uh, you go back to the Stephen Thomas fight where they just looked at each other, they were extremely gun shy, and that's because Till looks for the perfect blow. He tries he tr- he wants that Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo, one punch, walk off. He wants those. And he's had those. But you know, the, the, the as you mentioned, I think Donald Toronto was his best win because of how it went down. It, it, because he put on like wow, like and that was a good at that time that was a good win over Donald Cerrone. 
Uh, another negative he does, he does lead with his chin. He kind of sticks his chin out there a little bit. Uh, he was dropped in his last fight again by Robert Whitaker. He also doesn't check leg kicks. He's a, he's a very Conor McGregor style. Where he has a wide open base, which generates so much power. And he and because he keeps his hands low, he sees everything. And he's really he throws from different angles, so he lands shots that a lot of his opponents don't see. So it has so much such a plus. And then obviously the wide style really makes you sit on your punches, so you can generate power. But the negative, if, and we've seen in Conor McGregor is. Your legs are wide open for kicks. That's something that Robert Whitaker did extremely well in that fight. Um, he also had no answer for Tyron Woodley's takedowns. And he really struggled. To, obviously, he struggled to get up from Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley uh, took him out for, on the ground. But to his credit, Robert Whitaker, who's also a good wrestler, who actually is a guy that we've always talked about, doesn't use his wrestling enough, tried using his wrestling several times against Darren Till. And it wasn't to the fifth round that he actually finally got a takedown on Darren Till. And he popped right back up uh, to his credit. Now, move over to Derek Brunson. He's also Southpaw. Um, he, I, I don't know get with him because I still feel like he should be a yell-at-the-screen guy. But he seems like he's changing that narrative. I mean, you go back to the Edmund Shabazian fight. I wrote this down. I want to say it again, like how composed on the feet he was. Um, and that's usually not him. Um, he... Uh, he, he is a little flat-footed. He drops his hands. He can get wild. He can throw from his hips. Much different than Darren Till. Like, Darren Till throwing from his hips. He's throwing with accuracy. Brinson is throwing from his hips. That's not his plan. He's losing composure when he's throwing from his hips. Uh, he can tend to overthrow, almost knock himself over when he throws. Um, but he lands hard when he does. And he's, he's un- and that's the negative about being unorthodox. The positive is because he does some things on offense, like for example, he does a lot of same. I said this last time. He does a lot of same side attacks, which means like he'll throw like a a jab and then throw, you know, like a he's southpaw, so he's throwing a right hand jab and then he's throwing like a high kick on the right side right afterwards, which is just so rare. But because of that, it lands because people don't don't expect it. It's just something that most people don't do. Um, he he also leads a lot with his power hand. He doesn't throw a lot of jabs. Leads with his it was straight left. Uh, he can be a little left hand happy. Uh, some negatives. He can be he can be pressured back. He doesn't like he likes being the bull. Um, Edmund Shabazian had success by going to the body of Derek Brunson. Um, Kevin Holland did hurt Derek Brunson in that fight. I mean, Derek Brunson had to hold on to a fight that he was clearly way ahead. Um, Brunson throws a lot of kicks, which is which is obviously good to have extra weapons. Uh, he's he's a good dirty boxer. Like that's actually what position like we always think about Derek Brunson getting the takedown but he's also like he's very good at just printing you against the cage and beating you up making you pay before he gets the takedowns uh, where he just grind you out he's he's a good wrestler he loves that single leg where he just snatches a single leg runs the pipe um he's he's good at and I said this last time I want to say it again he's good at striking when you want to wrestle and then wrestle when you want to strike um and when he's on top he's Got good ground and pound, but we saw in the Kevin Holland fight, like he he can take moments of just resting, and that, but that to me is actually good for for him because he used to be a guy that was a wild man, go a million miles an hour. Now he's kind of being a lot more composed. So as far as prediction goes, doing tape study on both of these guys, I, I'm so much more excited for this main event, and and that's something that I, I encourage people to do, do tape study because it makes you more excited uh, heading into fights. I love Brunson's turnaround. Like it, we we talked about uh, Julian Rosa and his turnaround on this card. Obviously, it's two different things. Where Brunson, uh, I, I love the fact that Brunson got absolutely styled on by Israel Adesanya, 
and it seemed like we were kind of almost like a laughing stock moment. And it's maybe this went away from a title shot. Like it's it's that good of a turnaround. Uh, if he he should have a wrestling advantage, it's something we've seen him go to a lot more lately. Is his wrestling, um, and, and he could win just simply grinding out fifty minutes. I don't think he can though. Till is Till is a better defensive wrestler than we've seen. And when I was watching film on Darren Till, I'm going to greatly disagree with you. You like you said Darren Till don't like that good. I agree with that. Like that was kind of narrative that I was throwing out there. Like, man, what has he done? Has he been that great? And then I started watching his film, and I'm like, wow, he's a much better striker than I remember. And then I started watching the fight against Rob Whitaker, and I was like, this fight is much closer than I remember. I had a two-two heading into the last round, and the fifth round was really close until like Whitaker won it and he got some takedowns. But like to be, I, I just didn't remember it being that close. Derek Brunson, I still think he can make moments where he over pursues. I don't like the I don't like that Kevin Holland hurt him, and Darren Till's a much bigger puncher than Dar- than uh, than Kevin Holland is. I hope Till lets his hands go because there's a chance he just doesn't let his hands go, but I think he does, and I think he's going to have a big statement. I'm going to take Darren Till. I'm going to say he knocks out Derek Brunson. I'm going to get Darren Till by second round knockout. Wow. Okay. We definitely have some dissension then. Uh, like I'm. I as as I prepared for this, I got more and more excited for it as well. The the more of their footage I watched, I'm looking at it from, you know, yeah. I mentioned coming in obviously that Brunson is on a four fight winning streak uh, since the loss to Israel Adesanya against Elias Theodoro. He was a slight underdog against Ian Heinish. He oh. was almost a two to one underdog. Oh my god! Against Edmund Shabazian. He was almost a three to one underdog. Oh my lord! Like as he keeps winning, yeah. Like he becomes a bigger and bigger underdog, and against He's Kevin a Holland, two to one underdog to Darren, Darren Till right now. Yeah, and he was an underdog to Holland as well. So this will be the fifth fight in a row where Brunson is You're the underdog. The underdog to Holland. He was the underdog to Holland. Oh my lord! You're right. Like, what is he so disrespected? Like you make me want to switch my pick. Well, and it's it's I understand it because I wrote Brunson off as well. Like I. After he like lost to Robert Whitaker way back in you know like five years ago now, you know where he just kind of ran heedlessly at him. Whitaker like knocked his block off. Uh, he got lanced by Jacare, and then obviously the Adesanya fight. I was like, okay, I, I've I, the book's written on this guy. I get it. He has some gifts. He's a dangerous guy, but he's just always going to have these lapses in fight IQ. And then he stopped having them. And at 37, he's the best he's ever been. Uh, I finally now, and this is something I never would have said five years ago, three years ago, two years ago. I trust that Derek Brunson is going to fight to his best advantage and use his best tools in this fight. I expect that he is going to try to take uh, Darren Till down. I expect that he is going to mash Till into the cage and uh, just wear him out. Hit him with like those annoying little short shots, little knees to the legs, uh, and then maybe try to take him down. I am excited to see... uh, you know, I, I am excited to see uh, Till's striking. Like, I, I like, I, I want to see him against an, another Southpaw. Uh, man, Till is a gigantic dude. And it's not that he's that tall. He's like 6'1". You know, he was a 6'1 welterweight. Like, who, well, who cares? That's the same height as Michael Chiesa. That's shorter than Neil Magny. The thing about Till is he is huge. Like, his legs are thick. His shoulders are broad. He's just a huge guy. He doesn't look undersized. I expect he, he and Brunson are probably going to walk into the cage right around the same weight. Uh on Saturday, which, I mean, that gives me a little bit of pause because, yeah, Brunson was able to take Holland down and grind him, but 
Darren Till is probably 20 pounds heavier than Kevin Holland as a human being. Like Holland, you know, he walks around at like 183. Um, but yeah, like I'm I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I expect that Derek Brunson is going to be the best Derek Brunson he can be. And I think that's good enough to beat Darren Till right now. Give me Derek Brunson by decision. That's it. That's 10 fights, man. What are we going to do with the rest of our evenings? Uh, that is the Sure Dog Radio Network preview for UFC Fight Night 191, also known as UFC Vegas 36, uh, Brunson versus Till. Uh, certainly hope you enjoy the program. Hey, yes. hey, I, I know what me and you will do for the rest of our evening. What's that? No, no I'm talking about on, on Saturday. Oh, on Saturday. <laughs> oh, like, on Saturday, yeah. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do a recap right after the main event, and again, this is an early card. I think it'll be done probably by what, like ten Eastern time, something like that. Um, yeah. What's this? Even... That's at one thirty. Might be like six thirty-seven. Yeah, it's a short card. Yeah. So mid evening uh, recap will be on right after the main event. We will break down. Uh, all of these fights, kind of talk about what's next, things that we learned, if we got some things right, got some things wrong. Uh, it's on the SureDog YouTube page, and the uh, chat, the live chat is always open, so we'll be taking your questions and your comments. Uh, I ran it solo last weekend, and that was kind of fun because I got to interact directly with a lot of you, but I think we'll probably make that as much of a part of this as we can going forward. You know, always love to hear from you uh, guys. We're just two lucky fans who watch a lot of fights, so, you know, definitely join us. Uh, for Keith Schillen, I have been Ben Duffy. Thanks for listening. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week and enjoy the fights. 